1: Hi everyone, welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. I am so excited for this episode. Today, it is an interview I did with my good friend Courtney Summers about her new book, I'm the Girl. Courtney came on um, about, I don't know, a year and a half ago, I think, and uh, talked about her book, The Project. So I was delighted to be able to bring her back for... Um, I'm the girl. Courtney and I have kept in contact, uh, over the, um, again, in between these two interviews from when I first interviewed her to this most recent one. And, um, she is just so much fun to talk to. She gets very excited about her books, understandably so. And I, yeah, again, just a, a delight to talk to you, especially about this book, which, um, You know, like all of Courtney's books is is about a teenage girl kind of trying to navigate her place in the world and figure out who she is and, you know, dealing with, um, everything that comes along with that, with the world sort of viewing you as more mature than you really are, um, violence against women and girls. If you've enjoyed Courtney's other books, you will absolutely enjoy I'm the Girl, um, and there's also some Easter eggs for Sadie, which is fun. So if you want to get a hold of the podcast, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. Go to our website, professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And of course, if you have anything you would like to say about um, this episode, this interview, have books you want to recommend us, ask us for um, book recommendations for yourself, you can email us at professionalbooknerds@overdrive.com. at so, overdrive.com. I think that's everything. Um, And yeah, so I hope you all enjoy this episode and interview with Courtney Summers on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Uh, Courtney, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today.
2: Thank you for having me. I love being here. I love talking to you. We had such a fun time the last time.
1: I know, I'm so excited. So can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to your new book, I'm the Girl?
2: Okay, I'm the Girl is a lesbian coming-of-age novel that's based loosely on the Epstein case, and it follows 16-year-old Georgia Avis, whose accidental discovery of a murdered girl throws her into a glittering world of unimaginable privilege and wealth and the fight for her life. (laughs) Dun-dun-dun.
1: That, that is all true. That is all true. You also also, like gave me answers to like my next like two questions. So that's great.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What were they? Maybe we can make
1: this work. (laughs) Okay. So my next question was this book tackles a lot of issues asking questions (laughs) about power, predatory behavior, agency, and complicity. What made you want to write about these topics?
2: well i mean i can work with that okay i can talk about my work all day okay um well i'm really interested in how patriarchal systems of power impact the way young women move through the world and how they feel about their bodies. And the stakes I built this book around are basically the different expressions of violence girls and women encounter in their lives and our cultural propensity to blame victims and survivors for sexual abuse, and the covert and overt ways we facilitate and uphold rape culture to enable predators. And I think the Epstein case is a really good example of our cultural failure across the board to protect young women. So it was really my entry point into exploring all of these themes.
1: No, that, I was going to, another one of my questions. See, like, why do I even write questions? (laughs) Courtney, we're just going to talk and it's going to be great. Um, No, (laughs) one of my, one of my other questions was that, you know, so many of your books do deal with young women trying to navigate a world and finding a a place of belonging within it, especially when there is all this violence against women and, and Georgia is no different. Um, But what I I liked about Georgia is that she spends a lot of time um, fighting against the stereotype that just because she's beautiful, she must be stupid. Right. Like there are there are several um, people in her life who we are supposed to believe care for her who who call her stupid. And I, I do get the sense that they do care about her and they do love her, but are frustrated by her naivete perhaps and they and they release that frustration by calling her stupid wow release that right. frustration by calling her stupid um, can you talk a little bit more about that, that particular element of the book
2: um well i wrote like georgia is a character who is designed to challenge readers who i think would consider themselves allies and not consider themselves misogynistic or anything like that but as soon as George's behavior starts pushing against what they feel she should be doing or uh, or is not, you know, well, it's very much in keeping with a naive 16 year old girl's behaviors, like everything she does to me feels very teenage. But as soon as she starts doing these things that make you go, oh, God, no, don't do that. They have a very visceral, almost like emotionally violent response to that. And I've seen. Uh, certain reviews that really lean into the victim blaming rhetoric to justify the reaction they're having to what she's going through and I think it's really important to point out how insidious rape culture is and how I don't think any of us have entirely escaped a society that has conditioned us from very young ages to hate women so sometimes like the first word you reach for when you see a girl in a dangerous situation isn't like what's happening to her. It's like, what is she doing to herself? And it's never that she's, you know, she's not doing it to herself, but we're just so mentally conditioned to put her behavior on trial first. So I wanted some of the worst things you could say to a vulnerable 16 year old who's being groomed uh, to come from the mouths of the people who loved her the most because nobody escapes it. It's such a depressing fact of life, but we can always do better. Like, I mean, I hope that gives people pause like oh these are the good guys and they're saying things that uh you know we're constantly railing against in the media and things like that so yeah
1: Yeah, i (laughs) no, you're you're right i think georgia she very much does feel like a 16 year old and i think she feels like a 16 year old who believes that she's a very mature 16 year old right and i remember being that same 16 year old and (laughs) (laughs) choices were made that yes I'm sure other people thought I was stupid and and was very much like what what are you doing and so I do think that element of Georgia is in particular that feels very honest and very real because I've been there
2: right it's amazing how willing people are to forget (laughs) that they didn't know it all at all points in their lives like I mean it's always easy to sit from a spectator's seat and say what a fool what are you doing this is so obvious and just to to remove that to remove yourself from like I mean the process of grooming is so deeply layered and it's yeah. just like the whole point of it is you don't know you like I as you know I wrote about cults before like obviously there's something about the way human beings are conditioned to respond to being feeling respected and loved and seen and but nobody wants to admit they're that vulnerable i don't get it like i'm always willing to admit that i join a cult in a second you know it's not i don't ever want to write characters that i think i'm better than i don't think that's a a way to write an empathetic book and that's what at the heart of i'm the girl is like empathy for survivors i think Mm,
1: that's interesting This idea. That you don't want to write characters you think you're better than. I, right. wow, I have read <laughs> books like that and didn't realize that that was what was happening. But <laughs> this is are... the revelation
2: <laughs> podcast episode. We're gonna go through it today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there are authors who do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I mean, that's a thing. I, 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 think it's especially expected in the young adult category, and I, I just, I actively, I reject that. I just think. Uh, it's not my place to use characters as a, a, a prop to moralize or or impart a lesson, especially if it's at the expense of the girl I'm telling the story about, because there were points during the process of this book where it was sort of suggested to me that someone take Georgia aside and tell her mm. what has happened to her and how she made it happen. And I'm like, this might protect you from people that don't want to empathize with her, but I don't really care about them. I'm not using her to make other people feel more comfortable and morally superior with the story they're reading, like morally connected to because they feel better than Georgia. Like, I just, I can't do that. I don't think that's my job as
1: an author and I never want
2: it to be my job as an author.
1: So that brings up, I think, a good point about who the audience for YA books are and who writers write for when they're writing YA. Because, you know, there's this, I don't know if I want to call it a trend, but there is In the YA sphere, a lot of adult readers reading these books and then they get frustrated because the teenage characters act like teenagers. teenagers. (laughs) I think what sets your books apart is that they very much do feel like like you are writing for a teenage audience and for the girls who are George's age and would be reading this book.
2: It's so weird too because like the a lot of adult readers who read these books are like, "This isn't appropriate for teenagers," and mm-hmm. I don't see anything that's inappropriate about George's story, especially when you consider um, what it's based on. Like Epstein yeah. was going after girls George's age, from George's circumstances, and if you know, "I'm the Girl" is in no way a sanitized version of its own events, but if. I had written something like it's complete. I should say, I'm the girl is completely its own thing. It's loosely inspired by the Epstein case. But if I had decided to write something that was um, more on the nose, like the things that would be in that book would be uh, even more horrific than they already are. Like the reality of these situations is so much worse than anything you're reading. And And I get that what you're reading is pretty devastating, but people don't wanna admit that like, this is, portray- this is a portrayal of something that in real life is far worse and is actually happening to girls, so that age. So why would you say they're not capable of handling it when we throw them into situations they're not capable of handling in all the time? And I got this great review from a 16-year-old girl who said, Dazia who said essentially that. It's like, this is happening, this is yeah. life. Why don't you think we, you know, if you think, you know, like you have let this, ha- like, the people who are supposed to protect us let protect us let this happen to us, but you you want to keep a book from us like what? Yeah,
1: I know it's yeah it's it's a whole it's a whole it's a whole thing. You <laughs> could have a whole episode just about that. <laughs> just um, us yelling and shaking our fists pretty much. Um, I, that said, I do you know one of the things I appreciate about this book is that it does deal with sex and grooming and sexual exploitation in a way that is both honest and open, but not graphic. You give Thank readers you. just enough to kind of understand the situations Georgia is in and make us, or at least me, deeply uncomfortable right. but without going too deep into descriptions. Like it, it opens, like the scene it opens in, she's in a mall storeroom, like on her right. knees in front of a man and we know what is happening, but we are left to filling the details by ourselves and are probably making it way more left to our imagination. So one, I'm assuming that was intentional, but two, how do you balance that as a writer when you're crafting those scenes?
2: I think hmm, it's it's interesting that you say that. And I really appreciate that you said that. And I'm very grateful that you said that because actually there's been a handful of reviews that accuse I'm the girl of being trauma porn and i'm like a no. book that makes oh, you uncomfortable <laughs> is not trauma porn and I, I think to dismiss a book this it was meticulously researched it was vetted as trauma porn because uh the uncomfortable parts make you uncomfortable It's just another way of turning your back on the realities it presents but but that's a, a new and interesting thing i'm having to contend with i'm like that's that's not trauma porn um it's it's all at the I think empathy is the basis of what I write, the space I write from. I have to write from a place that is inherently understanding, sympathetic to, and cares about the girls at the heart of their story. And once you're keeping that in the forefront of your mind, it is very hard to drift off into, um, exploitative spaces. I mean, it's, it's so easy to tell when something is graphic for the sake of being graphic or explicit for being, uh, for the sake of being explicit and this book like kept me up at night it haunted my dreams it, it upset me deeply and and i think that was a good thing i think that's why the execution and you said it i mean jill said it it held <laughs> like, but you know that's why i think it kind of reads okay um as okay as anything like that I can read um not not for shock value not for gratuitousness but because um it wants to maintain a level of honesty but not at the not at the female character's expense.
1: That's so interesting that people read this and got trauma porn.
2: I know, I think, you know, trauma porn is a whole thing and and that ain't it.
1: <laughs> no, because I mean again, like, you know, Georgia's in these situations, you right. sort of let us know what those situations are, but you don't in any way describe them in a way that I would I would assume trauma porn would have you don't you don't right yeah I think (laughs) so like the situations themselves I mean like yeah that's such a that's such a strange phrase to assign this book
2: thank you I think so too I mean people are entitled to their opinions but like I, I feel like I'm there's just some things like I can't let go unaddressed. Like, you you know, books are for their readers. But I also, like yeah. I said, I think when you uh, dismiss a book that makes you uncomfortable as trauma porn, which is a very loaded uh, thing to say or, or assign a book, uh, you know, I want to say that's, that's just another way of sweeping it under the rug. That's a, just another way of dismissing it. It's easy to get people to walk away from a, a narrative that is like, examining rape culture and patriarchal systems of power and calling it trauma porn like why would it's eh.
1: well I think that kind of goes to what you were saying just a minute ago about people not thinking this topic is appropriate for girls to read about even though it's actually happening to them which is we should talk about that because you know that's a thing that's happening <laughs> where adults are like you can't read about it even though it's happening to you and you know that's not okay <laughs> it's not it's uh you know it,
2: it it is so strange it's like we don't want to equip uh young women uh with the knowledge to empower themselves to um move through the world a little more i don't want to say safely because this world is it's, you know, this world, Um, but just to give them a space to be um, understood, to be seen, to be heard, um, so they can make choices for themselves that they might not otherwise have the ability to know how to make, like, you have a space in fiction that they can read and, and sort of understand and process what might be happening to them, or maybe it's not happening to them, but maybe one day they might find themselves in a situation that gives them the data they need to make a a safer choice for themselves. Um we want to keep that from them why? It doesn't make sense. And then okay, you don't give them that information and then they find themselves in these circumstances and what's the first thing we do when they come forward? Why didn't you make a better choice? You know, like we don't want to yeah. give them the knowledge they need to move through this world with a greater degree of safety but we want to punish them when they don't know how to do that. It's just yeah. like it's almost like you can't win if you're a girl. It's just weird. <laughs> no. <laughs> you can't
1: win. No. no. <laughs> yeah. I I think it's yeah, I wonder how much of it is kind of, you know, going back to the idea of like sweeping things under the rug. Like it's easy, you know, once you put it in print and in a book, a girl can read it and identify and say, "Oh, that happened to me as well." And up until that point maybe they weren't listened to or the adults in their life just sort of wanted to ignore it um
2: right.
1: or kind and of also
2: like it's a book about sex like there's sex yeah well that too there and is. sexuality and like you know we you know girls don't know you oh. know like we just the whole we're not as far from those uh culturally ingrained yeah
1: like,
2: bad, you know that's true things. too yeah that's true
1: yes they are supposed les- to do really well. <laughs> I think it will. I think it will. What's not- <laughs> I think it will. But you know, it's I, I think about when I was sort of George's age and you know, um not quite to this extent, but I, I think a lot of I think a lot of us had similar relationships or people in our life to the to the the grooming adults in Georgia's life but we don't necessarily see them as such because again we're sort of like we're a mature 16 year old and then years down the road we we read these books or we read you know memoirs from people you're like oh that's what that was because there's there's a scene in the book um you know in the beginning we know that there are there are photographs and these photographs get referenced later and and there are conversations where people are trying to explain to Georgia what these photographs represent but they represent something different to her and I thought that was so interesting and like is there going to come a time in Georgia's life down the road where she sort of understands what those people were trying to tell her do you think
2: I think absolutely like by the i don't want to spoil anything but i think by the end she's um very to me actually when i think about the book and how i wrote it i don't think georgia was ever entirely unaware of that fact you can just see her she's in a lot of denial because she doesn't Mm -hmm. want to admit that she's been taken advantage of in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways like you can see her she repeatedly asks her brother, why do you think I'm stupid? Why do you think, I'm-? like, she's daring him yeah. to say it. She knows what he's actually getting, you know, talking around, but he won't say it because he's not going to call her stupid outright. And she knows that, but she knows what he's circling. And she knows what Nora's circling. And she just so desperately wants them to be wrong because if they're not wrong, then they're right. And she's, she's stupid. Well, she's not, but, you know, that's what she yes. thinks. Yeah. So I really think that to some extent, Georgia knows what those photos are. But she also knows that that's why what Cleo says throughout the book really resonates Mm -hmm. with her. It's like you get to decide I'm giving you autonomy and power back to yourself in a world that is continuously trying to take it from you, you get to decide what those photos are, no one else does. And I think her relationship with those photos are going to is obviously going to change over time. But hopefully, by the end of the book, you know, like the point after the book, she's uh, in a more self-forgiving space.
1: Yeah. 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 Cleo was just a fascinating character to read. I it just, the narrative sort of arc we take with Cleo right. in particular um, was just very very compelling and and all of your characters are compelling but i'm i'm wondering if there were any characters that you found more challenging to write or were there any that just were very easy to write from the beginning oh gosh um (laughs) the hard questions here
2: i think oh gosh you know it's i don't want to say nobody's easy to write in that book like georgia that's fair i I, I loved writing georgia cleo was actually really fascinating because getting her philosophy just right yeah was um it was hard it was difficult it's because um it just had to it had to make enough sense like you knew it was wrong but it also had to be on some level true because i think in a lot of ways cleo is speaking to a a general truth that we all know and that's that we live under a patriarchy and it sucks (laughs) you know like so when you want to carve out autonomy and power, you have to seek, it feels sometimes that you have to seek people more powerful than you to get those things, Um, unfortunately everything that Cleo was backing those statements up with was terrible and wrong, (laughs) but she, I think she spoke to something that, you know, at our most defeated moments uh, would resonate with all of us a little bit.
1: Yeah, I I think that's sort of what I found so interesting about Cleo is that she was wrong, but you understood why she felt that right.
2: way.
1: Yeah, she was a victim of...
2: Of, of her own life. Like she was right. a victim in her life too. And she took, uh, and she was trying to re-empower herself. And that, don't do that kids. Don't do it the way Cleo does. Yeah. Please don't. <laughs> but you know, you just see the, you see what this, living under this patriarchy for these women and girls is like, and everyone's making a choice that's in their own best interest in this book. And money and power rules everything.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So, come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On conflicted,
1: Um, Okay, so this is, this next question is long. Just please go with me for it. Okay. Okay. So in an interview you did a few years ago, you referenced something Regina Spector said about taking an idea for a song when she tries. Well, yeah, yeah. See, this is what we're doing. (laughs) Doing the deep dive here. Oh my God, I'm many? (laughs) Okay, but um, so she has an idea for a song, but when she puts it to a piano and tries to put it out in the world, something gets a little bit lost. And you said you felt the same way about your writing saying that, and I quote, the heart of my idea remains intact, (laughs) but the way it takes its ultimate form is always a little different. But as long as the heart is still there, and you're satisfied with what you believe in and what you've created. So I know you talked about how this was somewhat inspired by Epstein. Um, I'm wondering, you know, do you still feel the same way about your writing? And do you remember sort of how this this book started when you sort of think about it from the perspective of Regina Specter and that quote of yours.
2: Oh my God. <laughs> you know, I still think about that quote a lot. So that is like very well chosen. That was, it's terrifying to hear your, how many years old words read back to you?
1: It, it was mean, Jill. Little, that was, was mean.
2: <laughs> it was a
1: while ago, but oh, you know
2: what? <laughs> It lives on the internet. I love this yes. sweaty reminder that everything you say is forever. It is, okay. it's forever. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I've gotten better over time at understanding the central themes of my novels and what I want them to say. So I think I struggle less with um, how exactly they'll be executed. When I was a relatively newer writer, I would do a lot of writing to get to the point. Mm-hmm. And now I find the point a little faster. There are other things that are hard now, like everything, <laughs> but just getting, um, it's it's a little bit easier to, go from the point to the scene that needs to articulate the point than it used to be for me but easy is i just have to emphasize that easy is relative and i'm miserable all the time (laughs) um i'm the girl gosh there you know i think the hardest part for me to articulate and that not this is it's this is so ridiculous it took me so long and i mean like so I don't, I don't want to admit how long it took me because it ends up close to when the book got done, figuring out what George's job would be at Aspera that was the nightmare of my life i was like okay she's not old enough to do this she's not old enough to do that she's not i had to like me and my agent would get on the phone we'd be like brainstorming it's like it's like maybe she's like picking vegetables in the garden or something where they like have their farm fresh produce for the very rich it's like that doesn't work no but it's funny but it doesn't work at all it it just the digital concierge was a nightmare but it came together that's
1: so funny. I don't know why that's funny to
2: me. <laughs> because the great, like you think like the struggle might be like the greater themes of like the the horrible, um, you know, sex trafficking and that, yeah, that was that hard. like that. Yeah, I think I was just angry enough to have that part of my vision completely crystallized that I had to get hung up on this, what is she actually going to do
1: at Aspera? Like that took forever. <laughs> we should say like <laughs> Aspira is a like oh, members yes. only, very fancy resort
2: uh, yes. club resort. Yeah. um Would you
1: ever want to be a member of a club like
2: that? uh If it was like not deeply bad <laughs> in the inside and inside and run like, because I assume if I was a member of a club that was not deeply bad and run like Aspira, I would also be rich and famous, and I, I wouldn't. You know, who doesn't mm. love money and adoration? <laughs>
1: I can appreciate that perspective. <laughs> I can appreciate it. Yeah, Again, I, I, as long no, as it's a good place, right. a
2: good resort, a good yes. exclusive resort that leaves other people outside. Like, There's no good <laughs> exclusive resort, is there? I think the heart of the matter is, I just want to be rich, Jill.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, so you want to be able to be a member of a club, just not necessarily actually a member of a club like that. You yes. The takeaway, okay, okay. Um,
2: she just cuts right <laughs> to it. And she's so good at this. That's why I love talking to her.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I it's true, been, though. It is, <laughs> it is true. That's fair. I, I was reading it, and I, and I think I was sort of the same in that I've been like, I like the idea in theory of a club like this of right. being a member, but also, I don't want to be. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Just, it more but, but, speaks to like financial stability. Yes. Who doesn't dream of
1: that every day of their lives? It does speak to financial stability. But I do wonder sometimes about the other members that we don't really see. Like I I I like that we don't really actually go up to the executive level because whatever's right. happening up there is not good. No, but it's bad. <laughs> and and i'm just sort of like do the other members just are they unaware of what is happening or are they all in on it do you think like
2: i mean have you ever read a story about rich people gathering in one place that has ever been good like in real life (laughs) i mean like honestly i'm like they've all got like there's got to be some low level (laughs) complicity at all stages i mean like the whole thing with that's fair. Yeah. I mean, at one point in the book, uh, Matthew is welcoming in a disgraced film director. Yeah. Or no, film, a studio exec. And it's like everyone, at, it's implied everyone in like Hollywood and the world knows this guy's life is crumbling because he's a big sleaze bag. Yeah. So it's like, you've got to realize if someone's going, oh, come here and we'll we'll treat you like a good person, that maybe a lot of bad people are there.
1: That's true. That's true that's okay that's yeah. that's fair that's
2: fair <laughs> when you put it that way I'm sure that maybe there's like you know the children of certain members are fine you know like extended yeah. grandmothers and things like that they're just visiting yeah. for the day.
1: they're good they're good yeah oh, I was yeah. just thinking there's there's a scene um where Georgia is is there and and she happens to see um there's a situation she sees in an elevator and I'm just okay. like does nobody else see this does nobody else are we just, we're just pretending. And maybe that is, maybe they're just like, we're, we don't want to know about that. And we don't we're just uh, going do to it. ignore. Right. Yeah. So we're just going to so any other members who may be around or may see that they should be like, you know what? uh oh, that's not my problem. I'm yeah. going to ignore that, which I think sort of speaks to.
2: They're like, I'm rich, everything. but I'm not that
1: rich. Right. <laughs> 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 right, But also sort of just not wanting to get involved with right. whatever that is. And which I mean, I girls think?
2: are so disposable. Like you know. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. yeah.
1: That's that's sort of, the, sort of sort of the the takeaway I think. Well, not the takeaway, but you know what I mean. Um,
2: yeah. One of many sad
1: takeaways in this uplifting novel. Right. It's so uplifting. It's Very uplifting. happy ending. Actually, life affirming. Life affirming. I will say I do like that there was. Speaking of the studio exec, um, you throw one. of, There's a little. There's a little Easter egg yeah Uh, for one of your other books Sadie which I loved um I love that they like exist in the same world did you sort of always intend to that or did it just sort of an opportunity presented itself to be able to throw Sadie
2: um I when uh Aiden Archery comes to the resort he's a a studio exec and he's like haunted by his best movie which is Sadie
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is
2: based on Sadie's life and um, I just love the idea of someone, I don't, I didn't love this part of it, but like he's, he obviously exploits her life and then he can't get out from under it. Like yeah. you're going to do that. That's what you deserve, you creep. But also I like what it suggests about West because West sold those rights to Aiden Archer. And a lot of people were like, is West a good guy or is West a bad guy?
1: Interesting.
2: Yeah. And so there's a, it'll be after, Um, since it's after, like uh, there's a prequel not, no no the epilogue to Sadie that you can get that people got for pre-ordering I'm the girl that is a bridge story to I'm the girl and it's all through West's perspective and it's actually set with him meeting Aiden Archer and going through the whole process of do I want to do this and will I do this and the way he justifies it was very fun to write. Uh-
1: I admittedly did not take that leap to be like, to wonder like how he would have gotten the rights and yeah, West would have sold them. And now I'm questioning West about like everything. Like why A couple would people
2: died for him to get them. <laughs> 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 I, I
1: mean, <laughs> uh, well, you know, I have to wonder, like you would written several books before Sadie and then Sadie comes out and is just like, breakout, you know, for you. Right. Is, does that leave a lot of pressure for you and all of your sort of remaining, like whatever books you write after Sadie, do you, do you have concerns about it being compared to Sadie or not?
2: Well, I'm, I'm two books from Sadie and a lot of people, their responses, well, not a lot of people, but you know, some people are like, this isn't Sadie. And I'm like, I know it's not Sadie. (laughs) I wrote it so it wouldn't be. Um, You know, Sadie, uh, I think bifurcated my career. I've said that several (laughs) times when I have these conversations. Um, A lot of people think it was my debut. I think it fits uh, really well into the Courtney Summers canon, the way the uh, female characters are sort of in conversation with each other, their stories. But if you come in at Sadie and you don't know who came before her, you're probably not gonna like who came after. Um, If you come in after Sadie, there's a there might be a better chance of you liking who came before. So it's very interesting watching this multitude of reactions from where people have um, sort of been introduced to my career. And Sadie Cass, uh, not like a negative shadow, but like obviously there's a shadow over it. So like all of my work is now in conversation with Sadie. And I can't really, I can't write worrying about that. I mean if I did uh, I probably wouldn't have written the project (laughs) you know like um, yeah people people felt really betrayed by that book which is like it's I you know because to me there's a progression of female characters which is that um, like the first god what book was Sadie was my sixth book so the first five characters are kind of culminated in Sadie who was like uh, the girl who went and Mm -hmm. sort of was gonna Right, this horrible wrong in the way that she like with murder, <laughs> right. you know. She was like all that rage crystallized into that action point, and then Low comes along and she's like, "I'm gonna take down a cult." This is in the project, and then she falls into it. She's like a subversion mm-hmm. of the Courtney. She's the beginning of a subversion of a Courtney Summers protagonist, which to me it feels natural, and that's kind of way I want to go when I'm writing, I want to explore new things. And then Georgia is like an all the way subversion of a Courtney Summers protagonist. So like when they're all in conversation with each other, they make perfect sense to me. But if you're coming into the conversation in the middle of it, you know, it'll be interesting. It's interesting to see what resonates with who. Um, I think the success of of most books just hinges on getting them into as many hands as possible and letting the readers therefore find them because you cannot write a book that is for everyone you just can't yeah Yeah. so when I really each book that I released I'm like this is for a very specific audience and I hope they find it
1: I yeah the first book I read of yours was Sadie and I to me the progression makes perfect sense going from Sadie to the project to now I'm the girl like I I that that makes sense to me so thank you at least from my perspective, which really is the only one that matters I, here. I was just going to say, like, it's Jill and Jill. That's it. Um, <laughs> I will say sort of on that topic, I know that it. See, I'm going to do one of these like deep cuts again. And you're probably going to be like, what is this? But OK, <laughs> so in 2018, Electric Literature called you <laughs> a master of the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. you know. I get that, and I I think that's why (laughs) not. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why I love your book so much is that you have these girls who would probably, to some degree, um, have probably been called it or would self-identify with it. I mean, when I was like George's age, I joined the Heartless Bitch International Club. So like, I (laughs) this is why you're my hero. But so for you, what does that label like the master of bitch, of the bitch? What does that mean to you?
2: Well, I mean, so i gonna <laughs> put
1: it on my business cards, like let
2: <laughs> other people decide. Like, what is this about you writing, should, or is you this should just about be life?
1: Like, that should just be your business card, like Courtney <laughs> Summers, the, the master, master of the, the head bitch, head head. and that's it. That's it. No, <laughs> nothing else.
2: I mean, electric literature, like they also said, like because I write nuanced and wrenching stories about unlikable girls and i feel like yeah. that's the, that's the heart of it that's what it means to me but also you know i feel like the way i want to move through my own life is i don't want to be nice but i want to be kind mm. so like i feel like it all fits into that philosophy it's like a sort of you, you know just allowing the full spectrum of humanity uh in female characters and you know like in your lived life like it's so easy to be called a bitch when you're a woman so you I'm know. fine with living up to that. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, what I, did I do that made you mad? It's not what I did. It's what you didn't
1: like that I did. Correct. Correct. Um, uh, I. The, it's so interesting that you said the nice kind thing because I spend an absurd amount of time thinking about those two words together. And right. I think I am not a nice person, but I can't be a kind person. And it's so weird to me, (laughs) like how that exists in like how that duality of being able to be one and not the other exists. And I, I don't even know if I could explain into you <laughs> like I, I think, can pick out examples from my life and be like this is where I was I was kind to a person here like like kind to humanity as a whole and like we are all dealing with our own thing and right. recognizing that we're all dealing with our own thing and like taking people as they are like that but then if you get me one-on-one or I'm, I'm not necessarily nice I'm gossipy and like can be petty and it's can be a mess, and so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's strange. It's
2: strange. Well, to me, niceness is like an idea of kindness that is is not doesn't really isn't copacetic to the human yeah. experience. Like niceness yeah. is what we all want everyone to be, and like an ideal that they can achieve. Kindness is like I think kindness is empathy driven, and, yeah. and niceness is superficial. Out superficial. <laughs> and yeah. i also think like you know just getting petty and 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 bitchy and whatever like that's just part of being alive if you don't vent you can't be kind <laughs> or you just become mean <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: you know, like sometimes
2: yeah. that moment where you indulge in pettiness prevents you um from calling someone an asshole <laughs> that's being an <laughs> asshole you know it keeps you that's in true. check
1: that's true that is true all right, I'll give you that. That's. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm wondering, when you were, you know, writing this book, there are a lot of challenging topics. There are a lot of challenging scenes. Were there any scenes, not to spoil anything, but were there any scenes or any types of scenes you found easier and or more challenging than than others to write?
2: I, the can I kiss you scene was
1: very hard uh. to write
2: yeah um yeah because um okay well since the book i love talking from the to the future you know the book is out so i can see it is it thing. is out. it is out by the
1: time you're listening <laughs> yes.
2: to this okay so, so um george's grooming culminates in in uh her boss matthew um being like i i can't work you you know you're too beautiful to work with i can't control myself i'm going to protect you by uh <sighs> yeah by telling by letting you go, and he knows that she's a lesbian at this point, and she's like, "Well, you know I can give you the release you need, and it won't mean anything because I'm a lesbian. I like girls. And he's like, "Okay, we can try this. And every time he like he opens up this abuse with a question Can I kiss you? Can I kiss you? And each time Georgia says Yes, and I want it, and it's it's so painful to write, because as adults, we know that she is not consenting. He has weaponized consent against her to make her believe that she is empowered and she has been groomed up to this point to believe that she can have control over powerful men with her beauty and her body. So it was it was difficult to write that scene um, because it's just um it pushes against the things that you, you know, like we we always talk about like enthusiastic mm-hmm. consent in fiction. Which is obviously critical, but I want to show how easy it is for predators to take advantage of these concepts to abuse young women. You know, like Georgia would in that moment does not think that she is being abused. She is thinking. Right. She even says at some point, she's like, "Oh my God, he is on his knees for me. How cool!" Yeah. Is, like she doesn't say, "How cool is that?" I would, I would never write those words. But <laughs> she's like, "This is like I'm powerful. I'm I'm at the peak of my." my beauty and my power and a man who owns the world is on his knees for me and she thinks that's like incredible and as an adult you know that it's not you know that this is abuse and and committing fully to her perspective where she feels deeply empowered by what is happening to her that's hard because i know that she's not being empowered i know that she's being abused but it was also really important to commit to that perspective because again any any moment where Georgia turned to the reader and said, I know this is wrong, would have undermined the reality of the situations that it's based on, or any moment a character would have said, this, this is what happened to you would have. That would also have. It's just not the you know. It would just not be the way to approach her story. It would have, uh, it would have, it would have also undermined her as a character and what she needed from the people in her lives. And I think people don't want—not all people, but some readers—really don't want the specificity of these experiences to be laid out. They want something mm-hmm. more generalized so that they can um, feel a little bit more comforted by the horrible thing they've just read. And I just, I'm not going to give that to them. I'm not, never. Don't do it thank you yeah I will. continue Still to said make, not to do it don't um, do it
1: there you go See, for Jill <laughs> you have my endorsement thank people you. I mean don't complain to me listeners but I'm just
2: <laughs> complain to Jill
1: please <laughs> no I'm glad you mentioned that scene because I I and and you know I think the scene if you a similar scene appears in in various you know adult romance books this idea of like the consent and asking for it and it's a very different experience when it's between two adults who are not being you know manipulated but those same actions and words if you just took that dialogue section and moved it to a different book it would be read in a very different way but because of the power dynamic between these two characters yeah it was very unsettling I was just like oh please stop. Tell him no.
2: It just kept going. going. Yeah, it was so, it was very, it was distressing to write. Like I, uh, this book, like I, I'm good usually at putting like a wall between myself and what I write. And I would wake up with like little scratches on my face and I can only, like I haven't had them since. And I can just, I can only assume that I was scratching my face in my sleep. I was stressed from this book. I'm like, okay, that's new. I don't like it <laughs> we don't need to do that anymore yeah that's not a good
1: thing I yeah. know
2: it's like it was just so stress. it's like the desire to not fuck up was am I allowed to swear yeah it's fine okay <laughs> it was just so intensely overwhelming at all times and a lot of the times it was writing against the expectation of how a rape mm. narrative should read mm. yeah so yeah. much of this book is like this and it's it's not. I wouldn't even call it a subversion. I think it's an account of things that actually happen. It's just it's just refusing to um, generalize or moralize or or make the main character a lesson.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Thank you. It was really good. I loved it. By
2: the way, oh, I you. mean, in case I was not clear, <laughs> I
1: was like, oh um, my god, she's reading it. Ah. I did. <laughs> I, I did. Um, yes. Friends, listeners, I texted Courtney as I was reading the book. Um, to be like, <laughs> uh, and I would have kept texting you because I'm like I like sucking it into it, and I'm like I can't pause text Courtney. <laughs> I have to finish the book. So I would have it just was like just keyboard like,
2: mashed. they get so stressed out when people are reading my book. I'm like, no, we're not. We don't exist for each other right now. You just read. I don't exist. You don't
1: exist. It worked out. It worked out. Then. It did. <laughs> well, I just have one question left, which is, what do you hope readers take away from reading? I'm the girl jeez. (laughs) I mean, that's,
2: that's entirely up to them. I think that I'm the girl is designed to be an experience that sort of reveals its readers. So I think they should tell me what they took away from I'm the girl. Did you walk away from this book feeling um, like you want to be part of uh, a pathway to change by, you know, believing women by uh, understanding that, you know, these systems are you know, they're huge, they're everywhere, they're insidious, but these seemingly I don't wanna they're not inconsequential, but just like to be able to read a book like this and to start reframing the way you talk about these kind of stories, you know that's what i I'm really hoping yeah. that it encourages people to reframe the way that they talk about these kinds of stories. This is a book that like offers you a space to believe a girl. You don't lose anything by believing in Georgia. So if you chose not to believe her, you chose not to empathize with her, you, you chose to think of her as stupid, why did you do that? What are you telling girls like her? It's, you know I'm interested right. to see where that lands, but I, I have no control over this part of this process. So, you know
1: You know it, <laughs> that's true. That's uh-huh. that's okay no, I the <laughs> solid answer. This is a solid answer. A solid Thank answer. you. You're welcome. <laughs> Courtney, thank you so much for coming on to talk to me today.
2: Thank you for having me. This was, again, so much fun. I'm going to write another book and we'll do this again, right?
1: Perfect. Works for me. Yes. (laughs) Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerd is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com.
0: Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website Next Best Picture.